Hello. How are you doing? Can uh, you hear me, Ali? I can. How's the book going? Uh, the book's done. Actually. Oh, sweet. So it's all in. So I need to, hopefully they'll get you a uh, a copy sent out. Oh, great. You know, I, th- I think the thing with writing books is that, you know, the writing is half of it. And the, a, a good deal of it is is the sort of the editing, the copy editing, the proofreading, and the and of course when you get to that stage, you're so fed up of the text that it's quite difficult to get any enthusiasm. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? I mean because you sort of read it so many times. How like that's uh, t- uh, and it, and and basically the other thing is I'm I'm a dreadful proofreader, so I uh, you know because I'm so familiar with the text and and. I, ha- I have to give credit where credit is due. Uh, you know, my copy editor was was fantastic, actually. I mean, she she did a wonderful job. And in some cases, you know, I looked at it and I thought, gee, I said, I cried. Did, I, did I write that? Because that's all dreadful phrasing. I mean, it's dre- uh, it, 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 the, th- the thing that was quite funny, actually, is that I, um, you know, I actually thought some of the bits that she picked up on, you know, I had in the back of my mind, oh, yeah, it's a nice turn of phrase, you know. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a good sort of Twitter handle. <laughs> and, then, and then when she looked at it and I, I looked at it, again um it was you know i just thought god you know actually that that that's actually very poorly phrased and i'm, I'm glad she picked it up so right you know fingers crossed and whatever i mean i i can't say there's no like i say with these things you, you can never say there's going to be no errors in it um yeah. badly uh we do our best uh and ultimately of course it's my name on the thing so we have to see how it goes so do you need gonna... like do you need because uh, like I, I i've been writing a book for the last few months it's a stupid book oh, it's, not, it's, it's just a Good. dumb ass book of like it's <laughs> it's kind of funny because you know i had to i had to kind of go back in time because there's a part where i set something in back in the thing and i had to go back and look at like what were the police like back in 18 something yeah, what were they yeah, called yeah, yeah. and like what like how it's quite interesting actually yeah Yeah. so you actually kind of like like, um a bit like interview with a vampire isn't it which sort of yeah yeah yeah. time timing and and yeah i mean it's totally it's stupid like but i just was like you know what (laughs) i'd like (laughs) to make something dumb you know so i have to say i mean i find uh and i would say this of course i mean i find writing uh to be both therapeutic yeah if i can do it well the, the the thing is is that I think the problem these days, and 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 this is you know obviously pertaining to me in a sense, is that academic work is is meant to be quite procedural, slow, you, right. know, you, you know, take your time. Right. But of course, the modern demand <laughs> is quite different. So not only will you get a um, uh, um, you know, the publishers obviously encouraging users to get in on deadlines or whatever, which is which is fine i mean that's fair enough because often mm. you know academics can take forever um but the other thing is the op-eds and stuff you know so people will then say oh could you come and write an op-ed for the paper or whatever like this and of course they'll want it by tomorrow oh. and um you know people some people are excellent at this i mean i have to say i'm very good at writing you know four or five hundred words or you know a thousand words in no time at all and uh on a good day i can do it yeah but on a bad day, it's, uh, it's just you know I just can't you know I mean I I I it it I just not my my brain is because I'm constantly going back and thinking you know I what can you. I improve Do you know what I mean Yeah. So it's um it's you know and I invariably I mean you'll find this I mean I'm sure you is basically you'll click send I mean that's what I was I always say to my publishers I said the minute I click send I do it because I know an hour later once I click send there's yeah. something I want to change but I won't <laughs> I, but, but I won't but I won't have that moment that epiphany until I've clicked send 
I yeah. mean, that's the way. Yeah. So I like to say to publishers, when I click send, this is a draft, by the way, I'll probably come back with you in an hour with a revised version. Okay. <laughs> and you're always like, you're always your own worst critic. Like, I know that with music. That's right. Like, like every bit of music I put Absolutely. out, I, I listen back to it, I go, oh, that fucking snare. Like, and no one gives but a you're, shit. I mean, no one cares. And you're, and, and you're absolutely right. And, th- and this is why also I think, you know, it's quite interesting, as you say, that, you know, the sort of artistic arc in a sense, because, you know, we like, and obviously writers, we like to think we're artists as well. Yeah. <laughs> but the, 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 the it's, it's sort of this form of, um, you know, a, an old tutor of mine used to say to me that, uh, you know what real scholarship is? Um, you know, you sort of go. The real scholarship is when you agonise, exactly <laughs> as you said, over that little thing. You know that, that you know that reference or that, yeah. that turn of phrase, or in your case, you know, as you say, that particular you know recording that you've done, and you agonise over it on a scale that actually most other people won't notice at all. No, yeah. No, I mean, not- the odds are, in my case, you know, to be honest, someone will notice because you always get critics that come in, and you know, there's always one person who. Yeah, it's being very clever about it, and um, so they. Uh, but you know, it is difficult, and you're right. You know, I, I think the sign of a good artist, in a sense, the sign of someone who loves their art, whatever that field is, is um, is someone who really is is a good self critic, actually. Yeah, I mean, is a good self critic, and and you do the, the problem is, Paul, is that, as you know, is we all suffer from deep anxiety. That, that, <laughs> that's that's the thing. But I always so, think it's like it's like. Uh... Because when you put out music, I mean, I've got, I've had great reviews and then horrible reviews. And like, you know, the, ho- that's the I, thing, isn't it? I yeah, thought getting the, the ho- when I first got a horrible review, I was like, this mother, I'm going to, who's this fucking email? I'm going to email this guy. Mm. But it was the best thing in hindsight, because like, after I got that one horrible review, I kind of, I was like, well, if you believe the good ones, you got to believe the bad ones. So it kind of mm. doesn't matter. It well, like, listen, I'll tell you something. I always get pretty terrible reviews. Really? Um, oh yeah. I mean, not always, but I mean. It's because the the field is very competitive. Okay. Okay. Now, you know when you're dealing with Iran and the Middle East, and as you know, we'll be talking Polit- a politics. More. Yeah, <laughs> politics. It becomes, you know, that in in some aspects uh, of academia, you know, less so probably in Britain. To be honest, I mean, I I, I couldn't, I, I wouldn't, but particularly in America and other places where mm-hmm. things become very very competitive for jobs and stuff like that. But you know, it affects here too. I mean, let's not let's not have illusions about it. Um, you know, a good or a bad review uh, can really affect a career. Now, as a young academic, you're always sort of like, ooh, you know, in fear of that dreadful review. But yeah. actually, as you say, a bad review, badly written, actually is quite good for you. <laughs> because in some ways, people can say, oh, it's obviously got under their bonnet. You know, I mean, it's obviously peed them off and whatever and, and whatever. You know, and I had, you know, I had critics of my first book. I mean, I had some really odd criticisms. But, you know, I had some compliments too. So there was a sort of a balance. In that yeah. Sort of yeah. But, um, you know, as I've gone up the ladder, um, there are lots of people, uh, I'm sorry to say, who seem to think that the way to get ahead in life is <laughs> is to basically, you know, insult the person further ahead. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, yeah. so you sort of get this stuff and I go, you know, I never said that in this book or I never said that in this article, but they've obviously decided, you know, that they're going to lay in in some and, and And the worst ones, actually, to be honest, 
are not the reviews that you get, you know, published reviews and stuff. Because when you're publishing a review, uh, mm. people are actually very careful in published reviews. And I, I'm I'm less so now because I, I, I don't need to worry about whether I'm going to get promoted or not. And I, I, I'm much more honest in some of my critiques. I don't yeah. want to be nasty about it, by the way, but you just want to sort of like say, you know, I think this has been mistaken or this has been mm. misread or whatever. And I think a lot of younger people are, uh, these days are less uh, are less keen to 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 necessarily be as uh, as as as, uh, as aggressive, but where I think it, it's worse is in the sort of the anonymous peer review stuff that goes on. Because when you hide behind the anonymity, God, I mean, people just let rip. I mean, <laughs> I've just never seen it. And, and you know, again, it, it comes from all ranges, from more senior to junior to whatever. And I've been astonished at some of the... Uh, really, the yeah? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, I think, well, I mean, we could talk about this and I'm sure we will, you know. I mean, I think there are elements in academia that have become... Um, very polarized on a wide range of issues, uh, really, and have lost that sort of sense of uh, of even compassion or um, moderation, actually, in the way they yeah. look. I mean, my view is, and I see this also with students, you know, the point about when you're dealing with students and you're trying, your, your role there is to encourage growth. And you don't encourage growth by sort of hammering them and telling them they're absolutely useless. I mean, it, <laughs> it, 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 you know, it, 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 it's not it's not a constructive way forward. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and I, I think you see that in a wide range of uh, um, critiques. I mean, it's not just academia, by the way. I mean, as you, I'm sure you'll have experienced, you know, in, in in music, but also, you know, in any form of the arts and whatever, you'll get mm-hmm. critiques. Some of them are just very, very um, indulgent. You know, yeah. they're, they're very, they're very, uh, uh, they're a little, you know, they're mean actually. They're nasty, but you know, they 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 get there because some editors love it. And I I I have, I have said to someone, you know, I I once had a um um I mean, are we are we are we basically like? I mean, this is quite recording. interesting discussion. We're recording. Yeah, we're recording. yeah, it's so pretty so good actually. So it's good, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I thought, yeah, I might as well say this, you know, I yeah. want to sort of say, because I I think this is an interesting discussion in some way. So I once had a um uh I was once writing a. I mean, I will leave this as a sort of a. Uh, I won't name names or anything, but uh, you know, I once had a sort of a, a review of a proposal that I put in, mm-hmm. and um, interestingly, this book had been commissioned. I mean, all my books, to be honest, have been commissioned once. It's run. I mean, I it's it's only I, I think only one book I've actually put in a, a proper. You know, I've, I've done a proper proposal. Almost all the others, publishers have come to me. So you know, they get and then you know, obviously, publishers sort of get you and they say, you know, please write a proposal. And the proposal's got to go to readers and this and the yeah. other, which is a which is a standard uh, a standard process. But in my, in one case, you know, when I was sort of clearly, you know, fairly, you know, I was sort of, I think I was a, 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 you know, a reader at the time, you know, not a full professor, but nonetheless a reader in history at the University of St. Andrews, which, you know, obviously signifies that you're a historian of some sort, whether you're good or bad or indifferent, whatever. I mean, that's up to others to judge or whatever. But nonetheless, you're, and one, one person actually sort of an anonymous reviewer sort of wrote back, I think there were four. And one of them wrote back and said, and, and basically just, was a litany of abuse, you know, basically said, this man isn't a historian. Wow. Uh, why have you even bothered and all this? And, you know, and of course they send it to you because it's part of the process. Right? Yeah. And I sort of said, I said, why have you said this? And they said, do you have any response? And I said, no, not really. I mean, they, they haven't made any constructive comments. I mean, yeah. it's, just, it's just obviously this person has decided to go on a rant or something. I don't know who it was. and um, But I, I just thought also that is just completely unhelpful. I mean, I, yeah. I feel publishers also need to sort of say to people. And that's what I do. I mean, I do a lot of anonymous uh, reviews. And I, 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 I sometimes have said that, you know, this is not worth publishing in its current but I've always tried to be constructive about it and always tried to say why, 
you know, and, and, and yeah. say this is what, yeah. not an ad hominem attack on the author, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. which is a which is a sort of a daft thing to do. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, I have to say, invariably, you know, my <laughs> interestingly, I mean, it also works with that. Those of my comments are completely ignored anyway, and, and certain books get published, which which then I think the publisher laments it. But uh, <laughs> there you are, you know. I mean, it's just the way it works. I mean, publishers now want to get books on their list, yeah, and. Um, they're often not as uh, um, selective or as uh, judicious and, and selecting the books. I mean, it, it is a problem in academia, I have to say, these days, mm. and in publishing as a whole. You know, when I started out in this, and, you know, Paul, let's be honest, I'm considerably older than you. When I started <laughs> out in this, um, you know, the idea that you publish a book, you know, in your first five years or something, and then I, you know, it was a sort of like a fantasy almost. I mean, most people assumed when I started out, you know, or when I was sort of starting out, even with my degree and stuff. I mean, this is back in the 80s, right? The idea was that, you know, you write your articles, you build your art, but basically a book is something that an academic does at the end of their career. It's it's oh, okay. part of their, you know what I mean? You know, yeah. I mean, there are some exceptional academics that could publish, you know, vociferously, but by and large, you know, an academic text was something that at the, you know, later stage of the mm-hmm. career, when you've accumulated that sort of wisdom, you know, and, and that was an assumed thing. But then, of course, the whole system, and I think you guys in Ireland have adopted this. I don't know why. I, it's this sort of research uh, excellence framework or whatever, you know, this sort of research assessment exercise. I remember talking to some friends in Cork, actually, about this. I said, you know, why the hell have you adopted it? Said, well, <laughs> you know, we, we sort of copied the things you guys do. I said, why? I mean, so... Um, and and the, they have this sort of system where you know you're obliged to publish, okay. um, and it's a good thing in some ways. I mean, it's a good thing mm-hmm. in one way. On the other hand, what it has resulted in is it's resulted in a sort of a a, a plethora of articles, books, and stuff. Which I have to be honest, I, I mean, I don't think all of it has been good for the publishing industry. Right. I think you know some of them are, are, are fairly lightweight. Um, there's a tendency of the profession to sort of like, uh, you know, try and transfer the, the the sort of attitude you have in the sciences to the arts, which doesn't work, no. you know, but that's what they do, you know. Yeah. So, um, you know, if, if you're in, uh, I don't know, a scientist of one sort, you know, you, you, you might be a, a, a joint author with 15 other authors on a two page paper. I mean, you know, that's, you know, because that's just the way they do things, right? Yeah. Uh, that's not going to have any history or politics. I don't. I mean, you just wouldn't do that. Um, mm. But you know, there's a tendency to sort of think, oh, could they can do 15 articles. Well, of course they can do 15 articles because they're writing joint pieces based on experimentation, whatever, of which is two to three pages long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember many years ago there was a geographer who I knew, you know, very prominent um, uh, in the uh, not a human geographer, a sort of a more, more on the science side. And, uh, you know, one of his submissions was a, a three-page article done with eight other authors. Wow. And, you know, and as a historian, you know, it's a bit like, you know, I, I mean, you wouldn't encounter any like the, in, in music, I don't think. But, uh, you know, it would be, you know, I, I just find that, you know, that's just a different sort of thing, you know. Yeah. So they, they try and apply that over, over to us. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, you know, the problem we have is that, um, and I say this to students all the time. I said, you know, when you look at books and you look at things being published, you look at things online, you know, because there's so much stuff online these days. And this mm. is where, you know, we get to conspiracy theories. I mean, this is a nice segue into our uses and abuses of history, by the way, Paul. The, uh, the, uh, but, you know, when you look at this, 
things have a certain legitimacy, you know, because it's been published. Mm. Um, and particularly if it's a book um, and if it's from a reputable publisher, you know, so people say, well, it has to be sort of legitimate. But I have to say, I, I, you know, I'd say certainly on the field I'm familiar with, um, there's quite a lot of the books that are published. Uh, I, 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 I don't rate particularly at all. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, in, in, in the sense that they are very broad, they're very survey. I mean, obviously they, they have a merit on one level or another. Um, but, you know, for instance, just to give you an example, I always say to students, you know, if you're looking at a, a work on Iran and uh, the person writing the work, be it an article or a book, doesn't actually use any sources from Iran, i.e. Persian sources, okay, I, yeah. I would look at it very, I would look at it, very critically. Now, I'm not saying that it's wrong, but I, I, I would I would certainly look at it very critically. I mean, if they're trying to provide evidence of a certain thing, and they don't use any Persian sources, um, you know, what can you say? I mean, what is the validity of that? Yeah, uh, you have to look. Now, it could be, let's say, for the sake of argument, uh, a study of Irish relations with Iran using a lot of archives from the Irish, you know, diplomatic zone. Fine, you know, there's a merit in that, right? Because you're looking at a specific relationship. But if you're looking at Iranian reactions to, you know, that relationship with Britain, with Ireland, with America, whatever, you know, then you can't do that purely from non-Persian sources. So, you know, that's one thing. The other thing that I find, and, and this goes this goes back, and I, I, I will say this, is that a lot of writing today um, on the Middle East, uh, on many, you know, kind of tends to view, and I think we discussed this a little bit previously, actually, uh, tend to do through through a lens of the present and a lens of the sort of modern quote nation state. I yeah. mean that's a terrible term to use, but sort of modern nationalism informs yeah. that opinion in a way. Yeah. And you'll get, I mean, I you know I've seen stuff. Sorry, I've seen stuff which you know sometimes writes you know as as if as if, as if there's a sort of a static. Um, uh, you know that history doesn't move his you know history is yeah. a progression of some sort yeah, and when yeah, i mean yeah. progression by the way i don't mean progressive i just mean it, it's a process of development so yeah. you know i've i mean just to give you a couple of examples so maybe listeners can can better understand what i'm saying if people say for instance that um you know one of the standard tropes that you get is iran has always felt under siege i mean you you get this sense from russia as well i always find the one with russia quite entertaining because i said well i mean russia is such a massive country i mean yeah. i mean what do you mean it's under siege i mean <laughs> it's you know, I mean, it's, you know but they say you know iran always has a sense of being under siege now um yes i mean that there, there is an element of that in 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 certainly in contemporary iranian foreign policy thinking mm -hmm. but to say for instance that you can trace this historically back to say the 16th or 17th century now again you know you guys and i you guys Gala, will be familiar with this as well of course this sort of notion of rooting things in a historical experience mm -hmm. now the difference is is you could probably say in ireland that ah you know we root this because you can see it in the literature and the culture and the folklore and the poetry and the this and it's being repeated over and over yeah. and generation after generation the interesting thing with that of course is generation after generation reinvents it for its own generation do you know what i mean i mean it, it's it's a myth it's a mythology that has been re uh, considered reinvented mm -hmm. it's not entirely unconnected to the previous generation they obviously people build it and they interpret it in different ways but nonetheless it's there but in the iranian case by the way there is very little evidence of this at all. I mean, you know, I mean, we don't have it. I mean, what they might say is, oh, there's an oral tradition 
Well, okay. you know, if there is, I mean, you have to explain how that works, you know. Mm. So, you know, I there, there are people that talk, you know, I have a very good friend here at uh, St. Andrews who works on intellectual history. I mean, uh, Richard Watmore. Um, and uh, we talked about this, you know, about when you're looking at intellectual history and the ideas and how ideas shape the way we think, you've got to provide some sort of intellectual genealogy of how, how those ideas have been uh, transferred. Mm. Now, it's not an exact science. Of course, it's not an exact science. But you've got to provide something. You can't just assume it. You can't just believe it. And, and far too often, I think, in, in, in even modern social science and sociology and, and even in history, dare I say, um, there's far too much that is assumed right. by people. Um, and it's really a matter of belief. You know, it, it goes back again to this idea that we had about, you know, the decline of religion and secularism and all this. Actually, you know, religion in some ways or religious belief, if you take the the actual notion of Christianity or Islam or Judaism or whatever out of it, the notion of a certainty of belief in something, mm. be it ideological or, or related to God or whatever, um, it's still actually ever present. I mean, it is still ever present in our in our thinking. And this is why I think, you know, when they say, talk about the secularization of the European mind, um, <laughs> I mean, did it happen? I mean, I, you know, again, it's, it's, you know, how are we as self-critical as we should be? Are we actually uh, promoting uh, different beliefs? You yeah. know, different beliefs. And this is, you know, what I'm talking about here is, is historical ideas. You know, I've... Um, I give you an example of one which is very is is again raising its uh, head in, in in Iran, for instance, and it and it relates back to something that uh, you know an 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 experience uh, traumatic experience in Ireland, of course, and that is famine. Hmm. So the Iranians have got it into their heads, and you know you just can't make this stuff up, really, to be honest. But we've got it that um, famine is is the great disaster, you know, of the modern age. Okay, um, and. Uh, you know, all great national myths, and I use that term myth in a in the social scientific way, you know, the sort of narratives of mm -hmm. information, have a famine somewhere. Now, where do they get this from? They basically get it from Ireland, by the way. Okay. I mean, they sort of say, well, the Irish had a great famine. Now, you automatically see the perversity of this, okay, that they say, well, Ireland had a famine, therefore we should have a famine. Okay, great. Do you see great what I mean? No, no, yeah, do you know what I mean? So it's like, okay, um, I'm not for one purpose, yeah. like what's I know. The well, the purpose is is for grievance. So basically, what they say, okay, is they say that, um, uh, and and basically, it's drawn actually from the Bengal famine more than the Irish potato famine. But nonetheless, it's there. And, and and basically, it's that it's to lay the blame at the at Britain's door. So they say Britain was responsible for this great famine in 1917, 1918 during the Great War in Iran, uh, which devastated the population, so on and so. Now. The interesting thing about that is that clearly when you read the, the stuff that the Iranians put out, and it's very ideological, they do situate it in that sense between Ireland and, and Bengal. Okay. Okay. And and we see that. What they don't understand, by the way, is, is really the demographic consequences of these famines. So, you know, the Irish potato famine is devastating. You know, huge numbers of Irish people migrate, mm -hmm. you know, as well as the deaths. And clearly, you know, if you're to look in Irish history, it's part of the sort of the, you know, the psych the psychological vista, if I can put it. Now, interestingly enough, in Iran, there isn't anything like that. I mean, <laughs> you know, they sort of, I said, 
okay, you know, if we had such a devastating famine, and by the way, when they say devastating famine, it's several times greater or worse than the Irish potato famine. So just think about that for a moment. Okay, the, I think the Irish potato famine is probably the worst of the famine. Okay, but yeah. what they do is they say, no, no, it's not bad enough for us. We need something even worse. And so right. they, yeah, yeah. I mean, but but this is the thing that gets it now. So what they they argue is is that thirty to forty percent often of the population dies. I mean, think about what? it. Paul. 30, yeah, do you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, it's just extraordinary the figures. And, and is this like a main, is this like a mainstream thing? It's 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 not a. Within the, say, within, the very, powers, within the powers within the powers within the powers it is it's promoted by the supreme oh, leader right. in iran there are many people but what's interesting about it is this is that it's been promoted by a sort of what i'd call a pseudo um pseudo is probably the right but i mean i think he's basically an amateur historian and not a very good historian actually i mean let's be honest about it and he's written a couple of books on this and it's published by a again because it's written as a book people sort of take it as Right. Um, as, 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 as read. But actually, it's published by a, what, interesting enough, called, the, I think, the University Press of America. And when you look at it, you think, oh, University Press of America. But actually, it's, it's an independent publisher. Who funds that kind of thing? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, he's very keen and he, he, he's, he's promoted this argument and he talks about it. Uh, and for him, it, it is clearly this thing that Britain is the villain of the piece. And therefore, everything that happens is the, is the responsibility of Britain. And, it's it's a very teleological argument, obviously, because he needs to he needs to place Britain at the center of this catastrophe. And there there are a number of things about the argument that that are, are very different. There clearly was a famine in Iran between mm. 1917 and 1919, but the causes of it are quite different to to the way that's. I mean, the causes of it are basically political mismanagement and collapse of central government, but also, yes, the fighting between the Ottomans and the Russians principally in Western right. Iran. And then there's a there's a there's a very bad harvest, uh, a very bad winter, and this all exacerbates. And the principal sources for the fabric, by the way, are British travelers. It's British travelers who go there and say, holy shit, this this is not good. Okay. And it's the British then, 1918 afterwards, who are responsible for the administration. Okay of of the situation and and where the british may have some responsibility interestingly is in the administrative management exactly as you know you'd find with the irish potato famine yeah you get this sort of attitude that well you know it's god's law <laughs> you know natural i mean it's not as bad let me tell you it's not as bad yeah. as during the irish potato famine you know where the liberal government sort of says well you know let's let natural things take their course and all this sort of thing and yeah. maybe we'll offer some assistance but you know um in uh in Iran, that's not the case. I mean, it, they, they're much more hands-on in trying to find a, a solution to it. But, you know, it's the end of the war. There's a Spanish flu, of course. There's influenza. There's all sorts of catastrophes. There. So for me, what was fascinating was that I actually discovered an article written by two younger Iranian historians actually living in Iran who clearly are constrained by the idea that the official ideology says, you know, Britain is responsible. Therefore, their article has to pay some lip service to that. But their conclusion is very interesting. I mean, their conclusion to the article is, is it, it highlights a number of very salient points. One is that they say, yes, Britain is responsible, but it's number four in the pecking order. You know, there's a lot of other things. <laughs> okay, like but, a list. Yeah, that's, yeah, you know, they say the Ottomans, the Russians, our own mismanagement, the bad yeah. harvest, you know, so there's also, so, so they, they slot that in. But the other thing they point out, which is also extremely pertinent, is of course, nobody knows what the population is. So the first census in Iran, by the way, was not done until about 1955. 
Really? So any yeah. So wow. so any assessment of what the population of the country is is purely basically speculative, and at best actually is done by demo- demographists. You know those people who who do the science and population who basically read back into the. You know, they try and project okay. backwards the population growth and they make assessments and they do. Yeah. And actually, if you look at it um, properly like that, you'll find that the population of Iran did not collapse by 20 or 30 percent in the Great War. Um, it's it's uh, it's much less than that, actually. It's very devastating in particular areas. But because Iran doesn't represent a sort of a to use a modern term, a single market or a single political economy, there are parts of the country that don't have a famine at all. You see, there are parts of it that just operate normally. And there are parts in the western part of Iran, which is war devastated and mountainous and this, that, and the other, which is very, very bad. Hmm. So um, it's, you know, the, 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 the interesting thing with that is that there's a whole generation of Iranians who are convinced of, of the veracity of this, this narrative. And, you know, when you say to them, they say, for instance, oh, you know, we know that the British bought up grain and basically shipped it out to Mesopotamia or something you know, for their. When I say something like, well, where's your evidence for this? Now, bear in mind, Paul, as you know, the British, one thing the British are good at is keeping records. I mean, you know, <laughs> you know, a British army is going to have these records and say, yeah, we bought, you know, so much grain. I mean, there's going to be something, mm. you know, it'd be absolute. Anyway, when you say to them, Actually, there isn't any evidence of this. I mean, I, I don't. They say, "Ah, oh, well, they destroyed it, or it's it's been." Be-. So there's always a reason. Do you always an I mean? answer sort of, for yeah, and you always have an answer for why that evidence doesn't exist or why, they, and they don't provide it. And 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 you know, I the the thing is 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 that you know, for me, the most perverse thing of the whole argument. There's enough blame to pass around, by the way. I mean, we all yeah. know that. We yeah, all know yeah, the British yeah. government is up, can get up to all sorts of things, or whatever. But what they, what I find most perverse about this, and in 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 is is this idea that they need to be part of a narrative of famine. Right. And not only do they want to be part of a narrative of famine in terms of you know this has been dreadful, we're, we're owed reparations, you know we need this, that, and the other. They want to outdo the others. Do you see what I mean? I mean. I, I, <laughs> I find it perverse. You know. So what are you saying? Your 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 famine is worse than the Irish potato. So you know what they want to try and say is that you know we've suffered more, and it's it's basically this um, you know this marketplace for suffering. Really, I mean, we want to be the 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 great. It's 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 um you know the wider debate we have these days in in society about um victimhood. Yeah, Um, and you know my point about it is. Sorry, carry on. There's like that in slavery. There's like a certain thing when people go, oh, the Irish weren't slaves, they're indentured servants. And you're like, yeah, they were slaves. Like, stop that. Like, yeah, yeah, they, yeah. They got treated like shit. It's not yeah, like, yeah. you know, this this thing of like, no, no, they were just indentured servants and they were fine. It was like, right. Okay. No, no. I mean, that's not, I mean, I, I, I you know, I don't, I, I mean, I, there's a, there's a, a, a semantic game that often goes around. I mean, yeah. as you say, where people yeah. want to sort of like, f- f- you know, finesse things around. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've often said, and 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 I'll say this a bit. When people say, oh, you know, the British were very um, um, orientalist towards the other. I, I said to them, I said, actually, if you look at their relationships with with, with different parts of of, of 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 the empire, for instance. I said, I don't see why you have to go to all these other places. Just go across and have a look at the relationship with Ireland. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, and 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 actually, it's a it's 
you know, it is very particular in some senses. It's very, you know, the, the relationship with Ireland is a very contradictory one in many mm. ways. But it's, uh, but clearly it's there. I mean, you clearly mm. see it there. You don't have to go very far. You don't have to go to the Far East. I mean, you know, there there are questions. And you see this in other countries in the world as well, of course. I mean, where where actually it's even much more local antagonisms are very, very clear, you know, in terms of that. But you're right about the fact that I think people, you know, are, I think for me, this is the perverse thing. I think... I often say to people, things are bad enough. You don't have to exaggerate it. Yeah. Do, do, do you see what I mean? Yeah. I mean, this is, yeah. I, mean I, I don't think there's anything. And, and you know, when I talk about even aspects of the British Empire, I always point out to people, I say, look, you're always trying to exaggerate either its evils or its or its goodness or its this, that, the other. I mean, these things I think are all a bit silly in many ways. Um, but I also point out to people, I say, you know, you talk about it as if, you know, the British Empire was some sort of global charity. I mean, it wasn't. It's called the British Empire. I mean, it was. Yeah. <laughs> the question building. is, in, yeah, do you know what I mean? I mean, it's, I'm not saying it's the worst thing since sliced bread. I'm not saying it's the best. Mm. But you've got to understand that at the end of the day, you know, it's it's it was not sort of a, a precursor to Oxfam. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, it, it's clearly yeah. a political project yeah. in the service of a particular political elite. Now, mm. you know, you define that is 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 in your own terms. So this is, you know, this is the thing. I think there's a there's a, to go back to, I suppose, what we were saying earlier. There is a, there's a degree of polarization, and I think there's a there's a there's a, a um, there's there's a sense among people that, you know. Um, the more you exaggerate something, uh, you know, the more you're emphasizing, you're sort of over-egging the argument. Mm -hmm. But I but I think the attraction to some people is that it offers a degree of clarity that the real world does not. And I, and I think this is a problem, you see. I think this is a problem because people want clarity. They want to know who is the saint, who is the sinner, who is, you know, the victim, who is the oppressor. This And it's a very dichotomy, dichotomous uh, yeah. uh, division. And... And in some ways, again, to sort of mirror what I was saying earlier, it's a sort of a scientification. Is that a word? You know, it's, 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 um, Hannah Arendt has this wonderful word, you know, when she talks about scientificality, uh, the scientificality of the social sciences in the sense that, you know, things become very clear when yeah. actually, as you know, as, you know, artists, shall we say, we know that the reality is a is much more nuanced and opaque and that the, the trouble is that's not satisfactory to those who want a clear answer yeah I and mm. i think like that kind of leads into what we're discussing what we're going to discuss about obviously with israel and palestine it's like the the thing that like one thing that shocked me was that when it happened on october 7th yeah those bodies were barely cold and people were posting pro-Palestine stuff on their page like I, I knew people on like Instagram putting like mm. Palestine flags up and like stuff like that I'm thinking wait a minute they just a load of Israeli people just got murdered and you're like that was just madness to me like I couldn't understand well, I, I I found it I mean I found it all very I mean I found it all very traumatic to be honest yeah uh, it was, and, it was... And, 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 and difficult to digest and I and I and I've had to think about it very very carefully i mean there's obviously very strong views as as, as you 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 know yourself on on mm. either side of the divide but i did find that actually the the sort of the initial um jubilation shall we say yeah. people celebration particularly, particularly in the people, west i mean people celebrate you know, i i i thought was I, I i mean to my mind was just extraordinary i mean i i i i couldn't i couldn't 
for me, it didn't compute. Yeah. And and of course, you know, people will say, and this is the fascinating thing, of course, if you talk to Israelis, by the, way, the Israelis, by and large, are extremely critical of the way their own government has behaved. Yeah. You know, I mean, they, 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 they and not just in the immediate term, they'll say, you know, Netanyahu has been, you know, obsessed with his own judicial reforms or whatever it is, and, and has taken his eye off the ball, but also, you know, what's been going on in other parts of, uh, you know, in the West Bank and other things. So it's, 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 it's interesting, you know, that, of course, there's a wider debate to be had. Is 24 hours or 48 hours after this slaughter the right time to have it? Yeah, I'm not sure. You know, I, mean, I think that's probably, you know, you've got to step back, take a deep breath and think about these things carefully without allowing the sort of anger uh, mm. and the distress to get to get the um, uh, to really get the better of you. And I, and I thought, I mean, I have to say, I agree with you on this. I thought in the immediate aftermath that people were very reckless yeah uh in the way they uh they approached it and i i'm sorry to say and i i i i distresses me somewhat i mean i you know i thought um that some of the commentary was was clearly anti-semitic i mean 100%. It, it just, yeah 100%. i mean i i you know i i i was a bit shocked i mean i i thought people could have held back for a little bit yeah um and as you say you know actually some of the best discussions i think about the context and the wider issue is actually happening among israelis and among the jewish diaspora actually and um these these are things that i think in time have to be have to be discussed um but is it you know it it's it, it the i think the immediate aftermath was 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 not the right time no, and it showed. It showed, like you're saying, like this, like I, I, like I never really thought anti-Semitism in the West was, uh, like that per se pervasive. But it re, it really. I mean, that's naive of me, but mm. it really is. Like it's just. Well, so I think there's a. I think there is, and I, I, I think it's a sort of a, um, you know, on some level, it's a casual a casual prejudice, shall we say, mm. but then it extends. And, and I think I've, I mean, let's take the whole case of this uh, hospital that was bombed. Uh, you know, for me, that's unfortunate, you know, that the press should have uh, accepted a particular narrative without critically engaging with it. And one would think that, you know, the press owe that credit. I mean, there are all sorts of things I have to say that I, I think the press, and and I don't want to focus particularly on, on, on journalists, but on one level, they are public servants. Mm. And, uh, you know, they have to inform the debate. And, uh, you know, one of the things, for instance, is I think that, and, and some some are doing it, by the way, you know, they talk about the history, they're talking about, you know, aspects, that they're, they're talking about aspects of international law. But I haven't seen enough, actually, I haven't seen enough being discussed on the, the nuts and bolts of the geopolitics and the politics and the history of it. Instead, what we're getting night after night after night is is a, 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 a sort of a series of a visual trauma, be it in Gaza or mm. in Israel. Do you do you, mm. do, 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 do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's not actually looking at a deeper dive behind the sort of the the, the problems that exist. And um, I, I think that the, the the job of academia and, and the and, and public intellectuals is it, it's extremely difficult. By the way, I mean I'm mm. not even going to pretend, and I'm glad I, I'm not a an authority on this at all. Really. I yeah, mean, I, I have enough on my plate with Iran. <laughs> and uh, but and but I used to teach it. I mean I used to teach it a long time ago, and it, it's always been you know highly contentious subject. But one has to try and find uh, a, a sort of a historically 
uh, certainly nuanced way to do it. And of course, people don't want nuances, we're saying. People want clarity. They want it to be clear. They need it to be clear. And, you know, th- this is the problem. In periods of high trauma, what you want is clarity. So yeah. it's not the time. You know, I used to say, I said to someone, I said, let's say for the sake of argument, you know, you're... Um, a close relative has died of you know, some sort of way. you don't go up to them and say well you know he he, he brought it on himself i mean <laughs> you know i mean i mean you might do it in six months time yeah. know, or you might yeah. you know but immediately while the person is grieving you don't say well you know and and i mean you saw that a little bit after 9 11 by the way i mean after 9 11 there were a number of academics and others who sort of said well the americans had it coming you know wrong time kind of wrong time i mean i think that the important point that biden has said and i think he's out and i don't know if people have really you know uh, digested uh what he's saying that you know don't make the mistakes that we made Mm. and i think when i think about it more clearly i think you know what he's you know because i remember that all very clearly i mean i was watching us this sort of the invasion of iraq was being prepared and i always used to say to people i said what's your you know what's your plan you know, what's the plan afterwards? I mean, after you won the war, what, what, what are you going to do? And and yeah. the Americans would come back and, and a lot of them would say, I'd get two answers very regularly. I mean, I, mm. and I, you know, I was, I was working at a think tank at the time. And so we used to get streams of Americans coming through London and those sorts. And, you know, one group of people would say, we don't have a plan. We're waiting to, <laughs> we're waiting to see what happens, you know, which we thought, ooh, you know, that's, that's a bit risky. Never um, a Never a good one. <laughs> and the, but the other one, the other one would say to us, um, "Ah, we have a plan." Just because they haven't told you, Ali, doesn't mean we don't have a plan. You're just not very important. Therefore, we're oh. not telling you. Which you know, which you know, that's fair point. I mean, I, I said, "Okay, fine." You know, I'm just a junior researcher. I'm not yeah. That said, actually, that was bollocks. I mean, yeah. it was the previous comment was right. They didn't yeah. have a plan. And I think this is the issue here. What is your long-term strategy? And the long-term strategy has to be a political strategy. So, I mean, it can't be just a military strategy. And this this is the issue that I think at the end of the day, we mustn't lose sight of the fact of that classic, you know, Clausewitzian dictum that war is a continuation of politics by an admixture <laughs> of other means. It was as simple as that. And if you don't situate your military strategy within a broader political strategy, you're, 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 I, I think you're on a hiding to nothing, really. And this yeah. is the issue. And this is why I think a number of European leaders have said to Israel, you know, be very careful about what you do next. Because, you know, you don't want to get stuck in some sort of like, you know, eternal, no. No. you know, I mean, it's just uh, so. And, and these are friends of Israel, by the way, are saying that. So, um, you know, I'm sure people in Israel are, um, there are people in Israel who understand that. I mean, I was seeing an interview with Ehud Barak at one stage, and he I think it was pretty clear he understood that there were issues here. The question is, is whether the current Israeli government, uh, composed as it is of some fairly radical people, I have to say, uh, you know, whether they'll they'll pay attention to it. So I, th- I think these are the things, but you're quite right, I think, about I found the reaction, you know, I mean, uh, and it's a separate issue in some ways. Uh, it's almost people, like a left writing it's weird yeah, it's, it's yeah, because, like yeah. there was people at those protests which as much as they're pro-palestine they were anti-semitic like there was a massive like undercurrent of anti-semitism in, in those in those rallies that people have protests were having and i mean i think i i think we have to be careful i mean to be honest about perhaps over generalizing about 
what what happens in some of these uh, protests. But there were certainly elements, I think, mm-hmm. uh, and I think you're right about that. I mean, I think there are certainly elements, and some of them were filmed, obviously, where yeah, you get a, where, where you get a sort of anti-Semitic uh, elements. In. And and I, again, I think some of this anti-Semitism, in my view, is conducted by sort of teenagers who have no idea what they're talking about. Well, I mean, people, you know, they're, they're sort with... of they're, yeah, they're basically but... people who have grown up in a sort of a an atmosphere where they see, you know, this is their cause. It's a cause that they 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 adhere to very very closely. Yeah, and they chant things. You know, I mean, there was, I mean, for me, you know, one of the peculiarities of this whole was this whole business over the of the chanting of jihad. I don't yeah. know if you caught this. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, and the Metropolitan Police with alarming um, liberality, if I may say so. Comes out and says, "Well, you know, we have a number of people in our uh, in our assessment here, and we 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 have assessed that jihad can mean different things." And now he's absolutely <laughs> right, but I think what what I think what's what's a giveaway here is the context in which that exactly. was said, right? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I mean, yeah. so uh, I don't think the guy was chanting jihad on the basis of, you know, I need to engage in a personal struggle for my internal improvement yeah um you know he was talking about it in terms of getting arab armies to you know to, to march into sort of launch a jihad again i mean these these are you know i think i think it was very silly of the police actually to yeah to, to behave and you know to try and give that sort of excuse you can you can justify not intervening on a number of different issues i don't think getting engaged on uh the nuances of of uh, of Islamic um, jurisprudence and theology and whatever is 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 one that the Met Police should be engaged in. And interestingly enough, among a number of um, uh, Iranian com- social media commentators, I mean, they were laughing about. It. I mean, they they sort of said, you know, why why is the Met Police getting engaged in sort of the nuances of Islam? I mean, there there is a you know we we have um, as I'm sure you do, you know, we have some wonderful wonderful brilliant experts on Islam in this country. I mean, who can talk about it? I, I I'm not convinced that the Met Police had consulted all of them at this particular yeah. place on this, and I can tell you that there would be you know um, experts on Shiism and and Islam and others who would have been very clear what these people were saying, and they would have told you know would have yeah. said this is not they're not they're not you know this is not a picnic you know. <laughs> There's a lot of like young people like we'll say like like we'll say left leaning that go to those protests like and they. <laughs> I seen some of them had like signs with gays for Palestine. You're like, I know. I mean, this is you're like, yeah, and I, I seen them just getting chased down. Like, do know. you know? Well, actually, I mean, by actually by a number of the other protesters who were who were like, basically from <laughs> was it Hezbatahir? I, I, yeah. I don't know. I, well, like, I can't it's be like, sure. Do you know? Like, the, a lot of people go to these things and they they're just going because they want to be part of something that they feel like yeah, they're yeah. being part of something. No, that's and they don't right. have a I clue mean, of the history or anything involved. Which is, I mean, let me. I mean, a previous example of this, by the way, and we can. It's the whole business over Rushdie, and the fact we're against Rushdie, and there were whole groups of young Muslims, um, you know, who saw this as a cause celebre and went after it. And you know, when I'd say to them, I'd say, I mean, do you really think an author should be killed because he wrote a book? And they go, Yeah, but it's an insult to Islam. I said, Yeah, yeah, it could be an insult to Islam. I'm not saying there isn't an insult, but do you really fundamentally think someone should be killed for writing a book? And actually, when you sat them down and forced them to actually think about the consequences of what they were talking about, a good number of them, I can't say all of them, but a good number mm. of them would say, oh, you know, yeah, you know, maybe you're right. I even used to have discussions with people in Iran about this, by the way. They'd really? say, oh, you know, good old, yeah, it's a good old Ayatollah Khomeini, he sort of socked it to the West. I mean, that was all it was. And I'd say, but 
do you really believe someone should be killed for writing a book? I mean, don't you think if someone's written a bad book, you should maybe write something against that? I mean, that's really what Islamic yeah. jurisprudence actually says. It says if someone has insulted you, insult them back. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's 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 a uh, you know, but it should be you know, go to that wonderful word proportional. Yeah, and and murdering an author for writing a book you don't like is not proportional. But yet there were people you remember. I mean, I don't know if no, you won't remember, but I certainly remember people um uh you know um engaging this. And and I'm sorry to say also in some cases encouraged by the press to engage with this. I mean, there are stories of you know the book burning that took place. Burning a book is actually quite difficult, as people found out. You know, they'd sort of hang these copies of satanic verse and try and light it, and of course it wouldn't burn. So often, you know, there was a case, I understand, of a, of a journalist saying, here's some petrol, you know, oh because we, we need to get a good, we need to get a, a good, good shot. Uh, a good shot. <laughs> oh so, I mean, you know, th- there are elements to that. And I, I don't doubt, actually, that some of these, uh, um, uh, some of these cases of idiocy, uh, I have to say, that take place are encouraged, if not directly, but indirectly encouraged by the fact that they think they'll be seen on television and it's something that's, you know, you know, it's great. You know, they're going to be famous for 15 minutes. Well, or infamous, I should say. I mean, I have to say for a number of them, I mean, you don't want to be appear on camera, do you really? Because inevitably, no. what happens, the outrage comes out and then the police look out and say, we've seen you, you know, we're coming after you. Yeah. So it's, but it, there is something there that I think is deeply, deeply um, uh, uh, worrying. I mean, it's, it's, uh, the, 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 there are legitimate arguments to be made, no doubt. But I think some of the chanting, as you say, some of the sort of the uh, protesting and stuff that was going on was uh, was very angry, was very polarised and was not particularly helpful. I mean, yeah. I, I, I think that's a fair point to say. I mean, it's um, awful on both sides. It's, it's terrible yeah. to see what's happening. I think the problem is people can't, it's, we're in this whataboutism. You go, you yeah. go, they did that. Yeah, but what about, and you're like, jeez, mm. can we not just, I mean, Condemn both. I mean, yeah. I mean, and I mean, I, I, I think, I think the 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 issue is, is that you know, it is an extremely uh, complex and problematic uh, situation. But you know, it's like I was saying to someone. I said, it's it's funny how this has become the cause celebre for many people. There's, um, you know, what about what's happened in Armenia recently? That's, we've, like, we, that's we, just we've, called, you know, hundred thousand people have hundred thousand yeah. people have been forced out of their homes. Uh, by Azerbaijan, and there's a real worry now that Azerbaijan is going to launch a full-scale attack of Armenia. Now, all this, I mean, this goes back to something, there's all this, you know, there are people who argue, I don't know, but uh, there are people that argue that you can see the hands of Russia, and perhaps to a lesser extent Iran, in a lot of this. Um, but certainly the Russians have been a serious beneficiaries they, of, yeah, of, of the lack of attention on Ukraine. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. nobody's paying any attention to Ukraine. So it's, uh, but uh, the way I see it, and this is you know, we're, if we're to move a little bit, shift it to a little bit more to uh, even to policy issues, um, I, I would like to think that the West and the United States in particular, because they're obviously the chief mover and shaker in all this, um, begins to see this as not a series of individual crises, but actually part of a whole. And I think until they can see it as part of a whole, um, it's it's going to be very difficult to uh, to deal with because you have to approach this as a sort of an integrated yeah. uh, problem. Yeah. Um, otherwise, you know, what you're going to get is people are going to say, well, you know, you seem to be pro, um, you know, Israel in Gaza, but you're, but you're against what the Russians are doing in, 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 in Donetsk and all this and, and what they, you know, that, that in one case, um, yeah. 
a siege is illegal in another case a siege is legal i mean you know that sort of contradiction that comes out and it comes out really because people are looking at these problems as as individual and distinct problems and and i i would say they are not they they are part of a spectrum of issues that are emerging and um you can see a thread i think i mean obviously they 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 exacerbate local tensions there's no doubt about that but um you know you i think you can see a direct um uh link between uh you know um the russians uh what they're doing and how they've sort of exacerbated or encouraged um uh what's happened in in israel gaza but then also you know the fact that the armenians have been effectively abandoned now because the russians Crazy. have not been happy with with the way the armenians have criticized the war in ukraine so basically the armenians had always traditionally looked to um to russia for support or iran but they basically turned their backs on them so they're now vulnerable i mean and of course you know russia has this brilliant position now where it's coming to the un and acting as a sort of a mediator i mean that's the other thing you know we we want a ceasefire you know we want humanitarian <laughs> access well you know there are lots of people now i think that will rather blindly think ah you know russia's a a, a a good player now even though what it's doing in ukraine is is flatly in contradiction to any of it mm, mm. and <laughs> and and frankly it invaded you know the the, the question of russia ukraine is a completely different in that sense yeah know? because this is this is a case of a state invading another state i mean very clearly um the the, the israelis in this case are i mean you know basically responding to an attack on their own territory do you do you think um, um with regards to people in like uh, uh colleges because I know people in Harvard put out this thing and they, they yeah, yeah yeah and they they literally blamed Israel for everything and I I think that kind of stuff is coming from the idea of the West as being colonizers like that they call that they're the only ones that colonized everywhere and young people kind of see that they see it's like oh the west are colonizers it's like do you know how many countries like yeah, yeah. islam like you go egypt spain afghan you know what i mean it's like they yeah, seem yeah. to forget that throughout history you know uh muslim populations have chinese have they, like it's not just a western thing do you think well, that it's, adds- it's a, i think i think that does add and i think it's it's partly also a very ahistorical approach uh is it history, a 20th, is it it a 20th century through the yeah, lens it's of the 20th, 20th century. century it's a it's a it's a it's through the lens of the 20th century it's it's a, it's a very modernist perspective you know there are justifications for it in the sense that you can argue that post 45 with the un you know you get a new world order and it's meant to all be sort of legal and so on and so forth but of course you know that's a little bit of a sort of wishful thinking to be honest yeah. um and you know even with the un the un has fallen short on a number of different cases actually in terms of what it's <laughs> meant to achieve but you're right i mean you're right in the sense that it's 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 uh it's part of a wider ideological worldview which sees the west and capitalism as basically the font of all evil mm-hmm. and um obviously because it's the most proximate to us um it 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 it's something that 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 um energizes people but of course you know if, if you were to take the longer historical view um you know empires and uh, and conquest and stuff is 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 a is a feature of human history i'm sorry to say now yeah. you know i mean we can argue i mean it, what i find um uh you know fascinating for instance is the, is this whole sort of 
discussion between nationalism and, and imperialism. Because, you know, there are many people who will say, and I've heard it said, you know, that, oh, um, you know, it's a pity we dismantled the Ottoman Empire because, the, you know, the Ottoman Empire actually kept the whole place, you know, in relative peace, you know. Now, the, the, there's a, the, the or, or the other one is the Austro-Hungarian Empire, of course. And, and I, I, you know, I, you know, it, it it's not something, you know, when you look at it, you say, yeah, you know, I mean, the, 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 there's a case to be made for that. But it does also imply, obviously, that some imperial you know, some empires are, uh, can be viewed positively. I mean, do you know what I mean? I mean, so hang on a minute. So does that mean that, you know, and you get people into these tongue-tied arguments about, you know, what we're doing and, and, and how yeah. it's... Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't have, as I said, I mean, I don't have answers. I mean, maybe one day I'll you know, go back, one day, uh, Paul, you know, go and write a long book on it where I yeah, have lots yeah. of nuance and lots of things. It's difficult to do these things in 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 um in 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 a, in, in, in sort of real time, if you will, and in, in a in a in a sort of a discussion. Because you know, I think we realize, and I always say that even to students, that you know, I think one of the things that we can try and impart to students is the sheer complexity of the world in which we live in and and how argument the more polarized or clear it is the weaker it is mm. <laughs> and do you know what i mean i mean the more you emphasize clarity which is very important for us in a political and a social sense and for our own being and whatever because we want a bit of clarity i mean this is why religions have always been quite powerful in, in human existence because they offer a certain degree of clarity over what's going on that's what we want mm. in a in a classical nietzschean sense you know um <laughs> And I, I always love this phrase from Nietzsche that, you know, we we, we live in a world of nonsense, you know, hyphen <laughs> nonsense. And we're trying to make sense of a world of nonsense. But actually, the world is nonsense. It's yeah. nonsensical. Right? <laughs> and um, what we're trying to do as, as scholars, in a sense, is to give it some shape and to give it some clarity and to give it some explanatory power. But the difficulty, and I think even the Arab-Israeli um, cases, it's a good case in point, actually, but it's not the only one. Mm is that the more clarity you get on a particular argument, the more you are morally certain of your position, the more actually that argument doesn't work. Yeah. You know, the more there are flaws in, in that system. And I think it's 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 it, it always pulls you back. And that, you know, in some ways goes about the whataboutery that does come up because people will say, but what about this? What about that? And I don't think in some cases that works. Yeah, because... You know, but it's it's mainly to do with timing. I mean, if I yeah. was to have a big debate, if I was to write a big book on you know the situation and you know global politics or whatever, you could. There's lots of discussion to be had, and you could want about forever. To, you could yeah, want about you, you, could, we could both like what about and what about, but then what yeah, about? Yeah, yeah. You know, my dad does and that it, all it, the time. It's so yeah, yeah, it's it's all clarity, you know, and <laughs> and but I think you know, I think in a book or something, or when you have a lot of words to play with, yeah, you 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 can you can try and find inadequately probably but you can try and find a degree of balance between clarity and and and, and nuance right mm -hmm. otherwise known as what a battery although i don't like the term but you know what i mean, I mean basically, <laughs> yeah. there is a degree of nuance right yeah um that you you, you could you know I, I mean i think the trouble with what a battery is that it, it that really it's just a very poor argumentative tool yeah because you're not actually way... answering the question you're not yeah. answering the question you're just saying but what about this what about that and and but at the same time there are you know there are valid there are valid things to be asked you know i mean in terms of trying to refine your own argument um but it's uh you know at the end of the day the the clarity as i said is 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 something that 
is always going to be vulnerable. And I think you have to realise that, you have to understand that. I think at the end of the day, we all have to go with our own, we all have to find our own, uh, uh, I don't know, find our own, it all sounds a bit spiritual here, I suppose, but we all find our own answers. Do you know what I mean? And and, and what sits easily with our conscience. But I think there is also this issue, and this is for me, I I mean, I was talking with a friend recently, and I said there's a lot of armchair moralists in the world, you know, sit in the comfort of their own little living rooms, and they make make great moral judgments about (laughs) things that they don't really know anything about. Yeah. And, And that's always the case. And when you're actually in the middle of it, it's it's a different experience. It's a yeah. different experience. And and that, I suppose, is, I think, what you need to be quite cognizant of. And if you're a good academic, in a sense, you can try and project that empathy and try and understand the essence of what's going on. And it's not something that necessarily you... Um, uh, you know, it's 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 not necessarily something that is easy to do or is easy to absorb. But I think we do have to make the attempt, yeah. and that's what I you know I think about you know the events of the last you know the period and the attacks and whatever and what's going on. It's that sort of perhaps you know people are more willing to empathise with the Palestinian plight than they are with the Israeli plight. But I think until you get an empathy on both sides, you're not really going to get a solution to it. That's that's the issue for me. Well, like- so. The man is your preacher had a good had a good title for and I think the which which the which I think is kind of people take on board nowadays. It's like they had a title for their album called "This Is My Truth, Tell Me Yours," and I think that's yeah. a good. That is kind of what people are like. Their truth is more pervasive than anyone else's truth, or it's like people don't want to. I I what I feel what I don't like in the world is it's like. There's a if you don't agree with someone on absolutely everything, one hundred percent of everything, mm. your 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 position is not valued. It's like if you don't agree with me, hundred percent on everything, on every political view, on every social view, it's like oh you're not you're you're against me. I think that's kind of you can kind of see that. And I, I agree. I mean, I agree that there's a, there's a real problem with that. I mean, in the sense that I think there there are a validity of views across the spectrum. I mean, I. I, you know, I think there's a limit to that, obviously. I mean, there are some, mm. you know, there are some very radically right-wing or radically left-wing, I would say, views that I I, I certainly would subscribe to. I, I think there's a difficulty in when you talk about, you know, freedom of speech and what, what, what that allows. But obviously, we have a law in this country that you can't incite violence and you can't incite racial hatred and you can't incite, the, you know, so there are limits. But I think principally, if you're having a discussion, say, between you and me or me and other academic colleagues or other friends and whatever, I think on either side, there is a there is room um, for us. And there must be, actually. I mean, there must be. And I think, you know, the experience in Ireland and Britain and Ireland, whatever, is something that maybe we ought to we ought to uh, learn from, actually, that there is room for saying that there are two valid positions on this certainly and 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 to try and build towards them mm-hmm. to, to, towards each other mm-hmm. um and you know my 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 problem is really in 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 the current situation in the middle east is that actually we're we're not there i mean not even close. you know on either yeah on either side actually there are people who who frankly are, are very uncompromising to the other and uh you know this is this is undoubtedly a, a problem and i you know again you know i can't help but think that the problem has been allowed to fester, yeah. Uh, because the Americans, the Europeans, the Arabs, you know, for want of a better, you know, have actually decided just to ignore it, and uh, you know, basically thought it will heal itself, or yeah. it will, you know, or it will go away, or something. Obviously, it's not going to happen because there are also other players who are determined for it not to go away, or determined to create problems, or to, you know. So there's all sorts of things, you know, that are, uh, work in the mix, and I think 
you know, the only solution really ultimately at the end of the day. Um, uh, I mean, again, I mean, I don't know if it's the only solution. I don't think the Europeans can do much, by the way. I mean, I think the Europeans have been absolutely, and I'm talking about the EU here, I'm sorry to say, but, you know, I, I think I think they've been pretty lacklustre. I mean, they give a lot of money here, there, but they don't actually play a very strong political role. I think the only country that can, can play a much more emphatic role is the United States. And the United States, you know, there's that classic comment from Jake Sullivan, who basically said a week before it all erupted that, you know, I spent very, you know, I've actually spent very little time on the Middle East. It's been, compared to my predecessors, it's been rather good, you know. I mean, talk about, you know, mistimed comment. I mean, do you think, do you think but also afraid, it's revealing. Do you think they're afraid, given the history with Iran and Iraq and Syria, that they're like, oh, we can't get involved in another thing? No, I think I think there's definitely fatigue in the United States post-Iraq yeah. and stuff, and I can entirely understand that. But I'm also the view, as a friend of mine said, if you broke it, if you break it, you ought to fix it. You know? <laughs> yeah. and, I, and, I, and, I, and I think, you know, in some ways, the United States uh, can't simply go in... Uh, you know, even if we accept, you know, with good intentions or whatever, although, you know, many people would disagree about, you know, certainly Iraq. Um, and, you know, if you're going to basically get engaged in a sort of a reorganization in a sense of that, of, 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 of the Middle East, then, you know, you, you have a certain obligation not to, not to, you know, cut and run, and I and I and I and I say that with a heavy heart. I have to say because I I think also the Afghan withdrawal was a fiasco. I mean, it was oh, all done very poorly, and I think at the end of the day, you know, um, uh, whether we like it or not, uh, there is really only one player in this. It's not <laughs> China. It's not Russia. It's the United States, and the yeah. United States has to step up to the plate at the end of the day. And if it says, "Oh, we don't have the bandwidth. We can't deal with Ukraine and you know Israel, Palestine," I'm sorry, you know, make the bandwidth. You know, yeah. you don't have to make. It. Yeah. And 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 the thing is, it's 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 you know, if you're a superpower with a, I don't know what the size of the economy is, but it's massive, isn't it? You know, it's much bigger than it's still bigger than China's. Isn't it? Um, and you have that capacity, you have that military hard range, but you also have that diplomatic experience and diplomatic tradition and the connections with Israel, obviously, mm -hmm. which are going to be very important and the Arab world. You need to exercise it and you need to show a bit of, um, show a bit of nerve actually in that. It's not easy, but here's, here's the one ray of light, I think, uh, is that, you know, we're at a time now when I think even Israelis are recognizing that the current direction of travel of their government is 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 wrong yeah you know? yeah and, and they, they need to sort that out so yeah. i think you never know you never know out of this morass and it is a morass um some good may come out of it and i you, uh, you know one has to one has to one has to remain hopeful do you not think america the state i should say the united states are kind of at their end of empire building do you not feel that like because China are making well, roads? Well, I mean, like, you know, the thing is, the Americans say we're Montenegro. never at. Yeah, yeah, we're never, <laughs> you know? we're never at Mbappe. I think, I think the Americans vacillate in terms of vacillate between intervention and isolation, and at the right, moment they're in a right. sort of a halfway house between both. But essentially, in that the direction of travel is isolation. I think what this has shown is that isolation doesn't work for them. I mean, you just simply can't do it because China and, are going to like making roads in Africa and all that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah. You know, like that's a whole. Like that's a big area when you because once you go to Africa, but hell, you know, if if the Chinese think they can solve this problem, I mean, they're welcome to have a go. But I don't think they'll <laughs> have a go. You know, I mean, I don't think they'll get involved. I think they see it as a as, as a sort of a 
a means of weakening the United States and, and others, and they're probably in some ways right. But uh, that's all the more reason why the United States has to has to step up to the plate. And I know, and I entirely get your point. I mean, I think there's a mm. lot of exhaustion, there's a lot of fatigue, there's a lot of unhappiness. But, you know, there are things that I think, um, you know, there are things that can be done. Mm. And, and, and uh, you know, let's see how things move forward. But uh, um, I would hope that the Americans are giving you know, the Israelis some very sound and uh, firm advice. I mean, as to, as to yeah. how to progress, you know, yeah. because because potentially it could be, you know, disastrous for everyone concerned. So, yeah. you know, these are things that we have. And, and, and as I said, who can who can play that role? Hmm. It's it's got to be it's got to be, I think, the United States at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, um, before I let you so go, there, I, I, mean, I know, I know yeah. my, I, I've gone over no, no. time. Sorry I know, don't worry. Sorry well, but, um, we always do. We what, always <laughs> what do you think people get wrong about the Palestine-Israel situation from a historical point of view? Because they are, everyone like everyone points to like I think, 1947 I think the I know, and they forget I think the, Israel yeah, in yeah. many, many years ago, yeah. the, the Holy Land. They seem to forget that. Well, I mean, I think, I think if I was to summarize what I what I think the problem is, I think it goes back to what we've been saying earlier. I think there is a false clarity to what is an extremely complex situation. And I think that's what people get. I think I I you know, there isn't enough, I think, mm. historical understanding. And you know, on both sides of the divide. I mean, I, I think yeah. it's 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 mm. very clear. Um and both uh, and certainly, I mean, for me, the great thing is the people abroad who actually, frankly, don't have much to do with it, um, but are sort of drawn into it. And obviously, as we've seen from demonstrations and others, I think if you're going to engage very heavily in, in the politics of this, of a situation that really doesn't immediately impact you, by the mm -hmm. way, but it's 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 something that you are ideologically or um, uh, morally uh, uh, committed to, then you owe it to yourself, actually to really have a much, much better understanding of yeah. the complexity of the situation, the the origins of the state of Israel, the um and it's not all the Balfour Declaration, by the way. I mean, I know people sort of say oh, it's all brilliant. There's a lot that happens between yeah. 1917 and yeah. afterwards, you know. Yeah. And, you know, there are also negotiations that happen. There are opportunities for peace that happen, not, you know, opportunities for peace that require really serious decisions of 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 uh, of compromise. Um, and uh, and sometimes these have been found wanting. I mean, I have to say. And uh, so there are all sorts of issues that I think need to be, uh, I think, better understood. And uh, going back to what I said, you know, it's this idea that people, the stronger their convictions, the stronger the clarity of their views, um, the more I think that, you know, they haven't fully understood just quite how difficult this all is. Yeah, they just take the the points. They take their little footnotes of like 1947 and this and that. It's like, dude. Well, what they do, I mean, it goes back to, and this occurs everywhere, by the way, mm. and I'm sure it occurs in Ireland as it does in Britain, is that when you have a political point to make, it's quite easy to go back to the historical record and pick those bits of evidence that support the political point you want to make. Yes. And if you yes. think back to the famine argument I was telling you about, it's that idea you start from a proposition, you then go back and try and find the facts to fit that proposition. Um, and I, I, I think that's not the right way to do it. Really. No. I mean, it's, 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 it, all it's doing is reinforcing, uh, reinforcing, um, 
very hardline positions, and it's it's not going to yield a solution. Yeah, yeah. Well, on that on that depressing note. Well, hopefully, man, I'm hopeful. Something. I I mean, it's hoping we've got to be. I mean, yeah. we've got to be hopeful, and I think you know we've got to find ways. I think ultimately going forward to bring the two sides together. Uh, we've done it in to to an extent. I don't think it's perfect. We've done it to an extent in Ireland, um, but you know, actually, Ireland offers quite a good um, example of how it can. It requires compromise. I mean, it requires compromise, and often quite serious compromise. Uh, we have to remain fixed, as Biden has said, but more than just words um, on this two-state solution. I mean, it's got to be something that you know is the practical outcome of it which is going to require you know it's going to require compromise i mean by the israelis as well as the palestinians but yeah. you know it's it's a difficult one i think it's a difficult one because people have become very very embedded in in in, in particular views and uh um you know the the events of the last two weeks are certainly not helping it's crazy <laughs> yeah. it's crazy it's like yeah. you know I've, I've gone at a point like i need to turn off the news I know because it's actually kind of can affect your mental health because you're just like man taking all that in you're like man what the you it's, start it's, it's, neg- you start yeah. feeling negative and everything and you kind of which yeah. is not healthy yeah. no not healthy I mean that's the point and I agree with you I've tended to sort of avoid uh, um, the news as far as I mean I try you know I limit myself in some way but you're right it it is a sort of um and for me I have to say it's it's not just that it's 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 the fact of what this may yield the possibility of escalation. You know, and the situation can get much, much worse. Yeah. And I, I was thinking that Neil Ferguson, of all people, was saying that he was lying awake at night, worried about how things were going. And uh, I think if he says that, then you know you've got to be a bit worried <laughs> that uh, you know the situation is 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 very, very delicate at the moment. Yeah. Well, we're not very, supposed very... to. Humans aren't supposed to know everything that's ever happened in every little nook and cranny of the world. I think because because it's it just affects us. I think it just affects yeah. us. You know. So well, anyway, anyways, thank you very Thanks much. Thanks so much, Paul. I always That's love great. our conversations, and we'll chat the again next time. Soon. We next time we might just go straight back to Iran. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, brother. We'll, we'll talk do. to you soon. Thanks so much, Paul. Take, Take care. it easy, brother. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.